Lord Jesus, we come before you and are in awe of you, God. We thank you for the amazing grace that we know through the Son who came and died on the cross and then rose from the grave. And Father, we are grateful for good news. The good news that we get to be with you, that we get you forever. That our sins are washed away and they are many. And Father, remind us, remind us of, of our sinfulness and remind us of how clean we are in Christ. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. The words came on and over the radio just this week. It terrifies me to think of all the kids I have killed. The burden is overwhelming. We'll call her name Sarah. Not that that's any of you. Sarah grew up in a very average American home where uh, moral was taught. Wasn't a Christian home, but it certainly had Christian influences and they even paid heed to some extent to the golden rule. They wanted to be good and decent, not steal from anyone, not harm anyone. And, and somehow along the way, Sarah needed a job, and there was this clinic that opened up and offered some opportunity for some, uh, some secretarial work and some um, scheduling work. And she needed a gig, and it was a great opportunity. And she had known what they had done. You see, this particular clinic specialized in the abortion of, uh, of, of babies. And she always considered herself a really nice and decent person. And, and the idea had taken root in her heart and in her mind that, you know, it really was kind of no harm, no foul. I mean, and thought, I'm just kind of helping people schedule uh, these things. I'm not doing anything. And her words over the radio were, you know, I wasn't holding the scalpel but I was scheduling every person and every person's death. And then I got saved. Sarah didn't know what to do with that, and so she comes out of that and counts the costs and doesn't want to do that anymore. And and learns by being involved with local church and hearing preaching and talking to Christians within Christian community that um, this is actually wrong and sinful. And she comes under that conviction on her own through the preaching of the word of God as well. And one of the, the struggles she had, an ongoing struggle, was um, mercy on her and the struggle of shame and repeatedly asking God for forgiveness. And she asked her pastor, I keep feeling the need, I just need to keep asking. And her pastor's counsel to her was, hey, look, you know, I understand, but I think that it's you who do not fully understand the grace of God. 
you know, it's legit to ask for forgiveness. Over and over and confess your sins. And, but I, I wonder if there's an issue here in your heart where you're struggling with understanding the grace of God, the forgiveness of sins in Jesus and what he actually did on the cross. I want you to know this morning that as we look at the passage today that we are looking at people like this and people like us the kind of people that Jesus has come for. You see, the reality is, the truth of the scriptures is this, that that Jesus, that God has come after all kinds of sinners. All kinds. Today we're going to be gazing into the word of God in chapter 4 of Matthew. So if you will take a moment and turn there, Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4. You will, we will be picking up in verse 12, and we will see Jesus coming, or the disciple maker coming out of being tempted in the wilderness and, and living this perfect life that you and I have not lived, but Jesus lived. And Jesus is going to head into beginning his ministry, and there are going to be these themes that come screaming out of the text and out of the story as Jesus begins his ministry, that Jesus has come after all kinds of sinners and is beckoning them to come and follow him. We begin in verse 12. It says this. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Now, one of the questions that comes to our mind when we start to work through the text is, why does Jesus move from one location to this other location? What difference does it make? What's the deal with John the Baptist being arrested? Well, one of the first things we see, and it's just very quick, is a transition from John the Baptist, um, this old prophet who is proclaiming and saying, this is the one, this is the Messiah, this is the promised one, this, this one over here is the fulfillment of the scriptures, follow him, follow him, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. And John is this, this proclaimer, and Jesus is the fulfillment of the one being proclaimed about. And John, by his own admission, says, I'm going to fade away, but Jesus is going to be, he's going to be lifted up. And there's a total transition between John the Baptist saying, look, look at him, look to him, follow him, and Jesus being the fulfillment of the promises of God. And then it says, so he withdrew into Galilee in verse 13, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of, of Zebulun and Nephtali, so odd. What is the deal with this location? Well, let's just talk a little bit for a moment uh, about the region here. Now, the clue is actually going to be right in the text itself. His words are going to come out, the place of the, the Gentiles, okay? So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Um, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Really important language. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, and now a big contrast, on them a light has dawned. 
here is the Old Testament prophecy saying, hey, these people are in darkness and a light is coming. A little history on this particular region where Jesus is heading into. See, on one hand, we're going to see that Jesus is going after all kinds of people, all kinds of sinners. And as Christians, we're going to say, man, we agree with that. We are for that. But the listeners of this particular uh, proclamation would have a memory of this region unique to them. A place of the Gentiles. Uh, The people in particular were the Assyrians. Now, a while back, I spoke about the prophet Jonah and the Assyrian people, the Gentiles that were from, for in that area that had taken Israel into captivity. And they, in particular, were a very terrible, horrific, brutal kind of people, the Assyrians. They did things I just will not say right now. They were so brutal and terrible, and Israel would not forget how they were treated by them. And now, good news, apparently, is going toward those people. Because look at the next verse, in verse 17, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he is preaching repentance among a people that they will not necessarily have an affinity for. Now, this kind of theme goes on and on and on. I mean, we're a room full of Gentiles. We say, praise Jesus. Jesus, man, he came to the Gentiles as well. Us, lost people. And as Christians, we say in our hearts, man, we are so for Jesus being for all kinds of people. But are we? Now, let me just, I want to address something here. As One of the things he he says, very quickly, he says, uh, hey, he's calling them, to repent and, and uh, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the language is actually going to change in the text. When you go to verse 23, as we move through the text, and we, we will get there soon, but I just want to sh- point out before we get there. It says, and he went throughout all, the Ga- all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. You see, Jesus is preaching good news. That's what gospel is. Go- good news. Of this, of this kingdom. Jesus has shown up. There is this whole new way of life and this king. And he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, I want to just address this for a few moments because I know when we talk about repenting among people uh, like us that emphasize grace, there are some things that can come to mind as we think about it. Now, first of all, I mean, scriptures tell us very plainly, man, we, we need to repent and follow Jesus. We need to turn from sin and, and follow Jesus. One of the things that might come to mind as we think of those words, and sometimes our fears are, hey, look, um, we, and we, what we want to be careful with in our proclamation of the good news to others is not have them think that they need to get right. If they just get right and good enough, then God will save you. And the way that, well, something that will help you think through this and understand uh, this issue of repentance, which certainly needs to happen, is a couple things. One is what I would call the order of salvation. I'm just going to give you a very quick order of salvation issue or uh, grasp of that. Something that will help you maybe put handles on your understanding of the order of salvation. Um, Then then secondly, what I want to show you 
is that there's something attached to things like repentance and things like faith that are essential to understand. And I want to start with that. And that is that uh, repentance happens as a grace. Now, to give you an example of that, I'm just going gonna, gonna to read uh, 2 Timothy 2, 25. 2 Timothy 2, 25. Um, Paul is talking to this pastor, and he's telling them how to, how to engage and lead these people. And he starts in verse 24, and the Lord's servant, he's telling them how the Lord's servant must be, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patient, enduring evil, um, and then check this out, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Listen to what happens. Look how you can see the grace attached to repentance. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. From beginning to end, we need grace upon grace with every aspect of our life. From the beginnings of our faith um, faith is exercised because of a grace that happens to you, not because of you. You know, a lot of times we might, we buy into different um, uh, philosophical ideas that, you know, I got saved because God looked into the future and saw that I would choose him. But that is not the way scripture, like, tells us how we were saved. Uh, one more text, order of salvation. You know, I'm just going to quote it. Um, in John chapter 6, 44, it says, Jesus says to um, a bunch of religious people, he says, no one comes to me unless the Father draw him. And everyone that the Father draws, he will raise, I will raise on the last day. It's an amazing and profound and mind-blowing truth that from beginning to end, my salvation and order of salvation is depending on God doing something, namely changing my heart, him drawing me, not me like reaching up to God. If I, if, if I think that it's all about me and the exercise and the strength and the power of my will, I mean, that's more of a doctrine of, you know, I don't know, sola de la bootstrapo. But I want you to know, like, that's, that's not the way the Bible talks about it. The emphasis in Scripture, even when it's calling us to repentance, is, do you remember the grace of God in this? You are, we are dependent on this through and through, Jesus. But the amazing thing about this in particular is who he's saying this to. A bunch of Gentiles, people of kind of the Assyrian peoples, repent. Jesus is offering good news to them. Jesus is for all kinds of people. Jesus is for all kinds of sinners, even the type of sinners that we may not like. And you might be here saying this morning, like I would say in my own heart, man, I want Jesus for every sinner. Well, do I? Um some of you here that are elementary age and you're you're in or even junior high and, and you show up you show up to school and this particular day mrs johnson isn't there don't worry I, I don't know your teacher's name i didn't call mrs johnson okay mrs johnson's not there and there's a substitute and the substitute he's looking at everyone including you and and he says, you know, Mrs. Johnson said the first thing I need to do this morning is actually collect the paper that she assigned you. She wanted you to write a half-page little paper that said, the one thing I cannot live without. 
And I'm actually, uh, she tells me to collect that first thing this morning here. So can you guys get that out and, and pass it in, please? And um, Johnny, raise his hand, uh, uh, substitute. Um, Mrs. Johnson told us yesterday, at the end of the day, uh, that we don't have to turn in that paper. She wants us to wait until she, uh, she returns. And then other people start piping in. Oh, you know, that's, that's exactly what Mrs. Johnson, that's exactly and then, but you're in the class. You're in the class, and you are, and you're, you're a Christian, and you're there, and you raise your hand. Then you say, uh, Mr. Substitute, Mrs. Johnson told us to turn it in. We're supposed to turn it in right now. And because you have done that, every time you go on the playground, uh, Johnny and the other kind of leader types, when they're, when they're picking the teams for, for a sweet game of kickball, or a sweet game of soccer, or a sweet game of, of basketball or whatever or dodgeball all of a sudden only six people can play and you're one too many you know what come by tomorrow I want you to know something that Jesus came for that kind of person as well do you believe that you might be here and maybe you would no, don't consider yourself a Christian Maybe you're, you've been wrestling through this, you've been thinking through some things, you're observing some things, you see that we take communion, you hear that we, we talk about the Bible and we read it and we sing songs and, and you're, you're kind of, you know, you're, you're thinking through this and wrestling through, do I, do I believe this? And man, I want, we want you here to come and to, to consider these things, to consider Jesus. And you might not be there completely yet. And you say, no, you know what, Pastor Israel, like, you don't know what I've done. And if I told you what I've done, you know, you would just judge me. And you know what? Your friends from the church, they would just judge me if you know what I had done. Oh, let, me, let me tell you this, friend, that God knows what you have done, and his grace can overcome any of that. Because Jesus is, came for all kinds of people. Jesus came for all kinds of sinners it's a true story I heard some time uh, ago from a Christian minister. He tells a story, and we'll call her, we'll call her Sarah, and we'll call him John. John and Sarah are having a really tough time in their marriage, and uh, she is terrified to come to him with a particular issue that she hasn't, she's been withholding for a decade. They've been married for 10 years. She is absolutely terrified at what will happen when she actually confesses what she had done, something she had done before they were married while they were engaged together. And she didn't confess it then, and she is so worried about what will happen if she doesn't. So she musters up the courage, and she believes it's the right thing to do. She has been withholding this information, and she comes to her husband and she says, I need to talk to you about something that's so serious and such a bummer and so devastating, something I never shared with you before, and I, I need you to hear this. And, and she says, I need you to sit down and, and just kind of listen, and, and can, you, can you be really gracious with me? And she's so worried. And she says, when we were engaged, and the tears just start pouring out, I cheated on you. You know, we told each other that we were virgins and we were holding that out for marriage and I, and I cheated on you. Not just with anyone, with your best friend. 
and I felt so guilty and so dirty and so ashamed of myself and so terrified to tell you I didn't know what to do because I thought you would just leave me and you know what and I felt like you probably had a right to I I was reflecting on Matthew 5 and and you know and Matthew 19 and and maybe I thought you, you would just think, well, you know, I fornicated, and it was like, I know we weren't married yet, and, I, and I'm just so terrified, and I feel so ashamed, and I feel so guilty, and he says nothing. And he calmly, and he leaves the room, and he, and he drives away. And he's gone for several hours. He's pondering, and he's thinking. And she is sitting there wondering, will he divorce me? Will he leave me? You need to hear that Jesus comes for all kinds of people, all kinds of sinners. Certainly Assyrian Gentiles who tortured Jewish people historically. The jerky little kid on the playground. I know those ones in particular are kind of hard to forgive, guys, I know. And the adulteress or the adulterer. Jesus came for all kinds of people proclaiming good news. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he said it to sinners. You probably want to know the rest of the story. It's a good one. He came back with a box, and he pulled out this white dress, and he put it on her, and he said to her, I want you to know that I see you the way Christ sees the church, a pure and spotless bride. And she knew she was forgiven. That's good news. And that's hard news. And I know people in marriages can come, they can come to us with super hard things, and I don't know all your guys' stories, super brutally difficult things, but man, to the best of your ability, pursue repentance and acceptance and forgiveness, even when it's so brutally hard and difficult. I, I can't imagine what, what that would have been like for that guy and that gal, how hard it must have been for her and how, must, how hard it must have been for him, and yet they stayed married. Jesus came for all kinds of people. Jesus came for all kinds of sinners. The next movement we will see is Jesus actually coming to these sinners, and he's going to call them to follow him. And in the heading of your Bible, it probably says something like Jesus calls the, the first disciples, which he does. And something that we need to know before we actually read the passage is this. Bible scholar, most Bible scholars, not everyone agrees, but, it, but there's some great clues to understanding this. Because we're going to see something very odd take place. We're going to see these men drop down. They're, they're fishermen. Jesus is going to come to these fishermen, and he's going to say, hey, come with me and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And they drop down everything, and they, and they follow Jesus. Now, you need to understand that Jesus is not coming into town asking people to dishonor their mothers and fathers. I mean, it's part of the great commandments of God to honor mother and father. Now, something that's helpful with understanding the story without losing the, the point that they certainly did something very radical to pick up and follow Jesus is that Jesus' relationship started with them uh, a year earlier. And so these, these drops and expectations and calling to follow him were a bit of a season. Not to take away how radical th this is, because one of the biggest things we need to understand when we see Jesus call on these guys is that he's calling his disciples to follow him over everything, including family and vocation. So listen to the word of God. Listen to what it says. 
Starting in verse 18, it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. It tells us what they're doing. This is, this is about occupation. There's another major clue that comes up that tells us that, and it'll come later in the passage. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So Jesus calls his disciples, Jesus calls his disciples, us, to follow him over everything, occupation, family, whatever it might be, so that we can reach lost people or join him on his mission. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, it says, and they followed him. And going uh, from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. Now, what do we see here? We see a guy that is not just on a men's fishing trip. This is a part of their vocation. They're repairing these nets. They're doing work, okay? Mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately, they left the boat and their father, and they follow him. So they are choosing Jesus. They're following him over occupation and even over family. Jesus calls us to follow him over everything. Now, there are plenty of pressures in this life that, that, that are kind of at us that would test us about our willingness to actually follow Jesus. And at this point, we don't know who actually is saved just yet. In fact, as we go into the next movement, we'll see a lot of people that are following Jesus. In fact, he calls people his disciples who are actually leave him late, later on. But they're following. They're following. And we say in our hearts, hey, I am so for following Jesus over everything, except when, how about that? Here's one of the first tests. I remember this as a young dad. You take the kids to, um, I mean, it's spring right now, right? It's, it's baseball season. Like, like this is like the, the, the athletic, like, what's the word? It's, uh, just I have no understanding of what season starts when, when it comes to baseball or basketball, and I'll confuse March Madness with a touchdown. I mean, just so you know. Okay, so, but that's okay. So, so, so as a young dad or a young parent, you take your little kids to their first, sec second season, perhaps, of Little League. You go to the big O invite from the county or the city or the organization, and you sign your kids up, and you even do kind of a pre-practice and they've, they've, they've done all the work, and, they, and people are saying, man, dude, your kid has an arm. And you're like, yeah, he does. He's got a really got the best. And they start saying all kinds of crazy things, like, man, this kid has the best arm in the whole county. And you're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, me too. I did too. I mean, I probably, I should have. I mean, I didn't play baseball, but maybe, I, you know. And, and they're, like, recognizing it, and you're super psyched about what's going on. He hits the ball, she hits the ball, and it's just crushing it. And you just saw Captain Marvel, and you're like, yeah, she's awesome. She's killing it. She's anyway, so they're, they're excited. You're excited. And then you go to some, one of the first parent meetings. It's usually just kind of a standing meeting. And they start handing out the paperwork, and they're like, sign here. Um, they start going over a bit of the schedule. And you love Little League because it's organized but not organized. You're like, when do we practice? Do we show up to this game? We don't even know the plan. And, and the coach starts going through perhaps the different days that you're going to be gathering for games and practice. And as you're looking at it, what you see is a number 
of Sundays. You see a bunch of Sundays on there. I mean, not just like one, like you see like eight of them. And they're right smack in the best part of the morning when you come to worship. And you're thinking, what do I do? Well, look, you start talking to your, your spouse and you're, you're working through that. And you're like, you know what? I mean, it's not that big deal. Like, we, we'd miss like two Sundays. But then basketball season comes, and then you miss two more months. And family comes in town, and you're not a part of worship. Jesus calls every disciple to follow him over everything, including my kids' little league, little league ambitions, including my desires for their great sports, whatever career. Or how about this? Jesus calls us to follow him over everything. How about our, our, our love of money, perhaps? You've sat down, you've had some hard conversations as a, as a family, as you and your wife, you're working through, hey, look, this year I actually made a goal, and I'm going to be more generous than I ever have. I've, I've written down a number. You know, Paul makes it clear, like, like I, should, I should actually come purposefully and, and give generously, and, and, and you start working through those different issues. You've read a number of books. You've read John MacArthur, and you're like, oh, man, he's kind of, he's okay, but he maybe he's kind of soft on this. And you've read Keller, and you read Piper, and they're saying, no, dude, you owe it all and you're reading the New Testament and you see all these New Testament people where they're selling their properties and they're giving everything to the poor and the needy around them and then you read other biblical scholars and they're like, oh my goodness, Old Testament saints, they were giving like 30%. Holy cow, I don't think I'm ready for that. And you start working through that in your heart and you're like, God, I want to be generous. What do I do with this? And you, you guys sit down and you come up with a, with a number and you literally put it in your budget for the year. Then your brother approaches you and says, hey, look, I don't know if you've thought about this, but, you know, over the next 10 years, you need, really need to start working on your retirement more now, you know, before later. And if you kind of invest in this way and you do this, do this along with me, and it'll be this month, this much, but it's the exact number that you have planned to do with your generosity. And you're sitting there faced with this amazing decision, like, what do I do? Jesus' disciples are to follow him over everything, including occupation and family, and most certainly over the temptation to love money. Or how about this? You've been a Christian for a while, but you've never been baptized. I don't know who is and who isn't. You know, I, I, don't, like, I don't know all of you. But scriptures clearly teach us one of the first steps of our obedience is to, to be dipped in the water. And maybe you've been thinking about it and wrestling with it, or, or maybe you just kind of feel awkward and embarrassed because you waited too long. Let me tell you that Jesus' disciples follow him over everything, including our own embarrassment for waiting too long when it comes to being baptized. Let baptism be your first step of obedience among many other steps of obedience and opportunities that will come your, your way as a Christian. Number three, the next movement is this. We see Jesus calling all his disciples to, to follow him over everything, including occupation and including family. And then what we see is a, a tenderness and a love that Jesus has for people. And you see that from beginning to end. But you see that, by the way, Jesus gives these people a foretaste of heaven. 
All these people are going to be brought to him. They have illnesses. They're physical and spiritual and emotional and mental illnesses and sicknesses of all kinds. And Jesus is going to heal them. And they get this amazing taste of what happens when God heals them, a taste of heaven, of things reconciled and transformed by God. It says this. In verse 23, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those op oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds, people came from everywhere, great crowds followed him from Galilee and the, the big city, the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. They were coming from all over the place to, to see what he was doing and to be healed by him, and he was. And this is one of the things, massive things that we see. We see that Jesus actually cares for you and knows your troubles. Jesus knows your troubles and cares for you. I don't know if you think of that very often as a, a disciple of Jesus, that the disciple maker cares for you and he understands your struggles and your illnesses and your weaknesses and he understands the temptations that you face. In fact, he overcame them. When we can't overcome them, he overcame temptation. We look to him. When we need help and grace, we look to him. When we need help with repentance, we look to him. Jesus understands your weaknesses and your brokenness, and he cares for you. And as a follower of Jesus, you need to know and be reminded, sometimes you need to preach to yourself, Jesus cares for me. Jesus loves me. I don't know what kind of background you, if you came from a background where mom and dad did not show you love, or maybe, I don't know, maybe spouse doesn't show you very much love, Jesus loves and cares and knows you. Jesus is for all kinds of sinners, even the ones that don't love you very well. And you can pray for them, and maybe God just might grant them repentance. Jesus wants every follower, every disciple to follow him over everything in their life, including family, including occupation. And oh, how hard that is when it feels like that would be better, even though that job would compromise what I would do, do I work for the abortion clinic? The answer is really easy if you're a Christian. Like, no. And Jesus knows and he cares for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing grace upon grace that you show to us all the time and constantly. And Father, I pray we'd be reminded in our hearts of the good news of the gospel that you have come for all kinds of sinners, including us. And Father, may there be no one in here who thinks they are too far from the forgiveness that Jesus, that, that is offered by you, Father, through Christ. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.